0: The Obama's Shameless Humbuggery and Hubris At the Democratic Convention on Monday night, perhaps the most popular living demagogue, Michelle Obama, a woman gifted at the art of deception, delivered a deceitful polemic with the theatrical skill of her best Hollywood pals. Then on Wednesday night, her oily husband, equally full of hubris and skilled at humbuggery, repeated the same old, same old, becoming the first president in modern history with an ego so huge it impelled him to swagger onto the national stage with teeth bared and claws unsheathed and armed with the audacity of revenge. In her polemic, Michelle wove in lie after lie, but leftists and myopic hate-filled never-Trumpers slathered over it because masterful faux-earnestness covers a multitude of deceptions, both small and great. Appearance matters more to superficial, morally unanchored people than does reality. Glibness, eloquence, heartstrings-pulling matter more than policies that lead to human flourishing, and sophistry in the service of radical, political, and social upheaval matters more than foundational constitutional principles. Michelle rightly asserted that the job of president requires, and I quote, "...a devotion to facts and history a moral compass and an abiding belief that each of the 330 million lives in this country has meaning and worth." End quote. This is an ironic assertion, however, coming from a member of the party that is destroying monuments, falsifying history, sexually integrating girls' private spaces, abandoning constitutional principles and slaughtering the unborn. Michelle Obama rightly asserted too that, quote, a president's words have the power to move markets. They can start wars or broker peace. They can summon our better angels or awaken our worst instincts. Quote. She had to focus on words rather than actions because Trump's actions have resulted in an historic Middle East peace agreement between Israel and the United Arab Emirates, an agreement that many believe merit a Nobel Peace Prize for President Trump. And Trump's economic policies created a soaring economy, with black unemployment at historic lows. In contrast, Barack Obama and his sidekick Joe lit the Middle East on fire and presided over the slowest economic recovery since the Great Depression. Barack repeated Michelle's boast about the economic magic those prestidigitators Basement Biden and Kamala Harris will perform. He said, quote, They'll rescue the economy like Joe helped me do after the Great Recession, end quote. As senior fellow at the Heartland Institute, Peter J. Ferrara, explained in a commentary in the Wall Street Journal, and I quote, Milton Friedman was the first economist to notice a pattern in American economic history. The deeper the recession, the stronger the recovery. The economy has to grow even faster than normal for a while to catch up to where it would have been without the recession. The fundamentals of America's world-leading economy are so strong that the pattern held throughout the country's history, until the past decade. The 2008-2009 recession was so bad, the economy should have come roaring back with a booming recovery, even stronger than Reagan's boom in the 1980s. But Mr. Obama carefully, studiously pursued the opposite of every pro-growth policy Reagan had followed. What he got was the worst recovery from a recession since the Great Depression. Before Mr. Obama, in the 11 previous recessions since the Depression, the economy recovered all jobs lost during the recession an average of 27 months after the recession began. In Mr. Obama's recovery, dating from the summer of 2009, the recession's job losses were not recovered until after 76 months more than six years. The recovery took off on Election Day 2016 as the stock market communicated. Mr. Trump's tax cuts and sweeping deregulation, especially regarding energy, fundamentally changed course for Mr. Obama. These policies have driven today's boom, increasing annual growth to more than 3% within six months and now to over 4%. End quote. Barack went on to say that if Trump is re-elected, quote, the economy will keep getting skewed to the wealthy and well-connected, end quote. What he left out was that the wealth inequality grew during the Obama-Biden administration and that Wall Street and Silicon Valley are now in the tank for Biden and Harris big time. The always audacious Barack Obama declared, quote, for close to four years now, "...Trump's shown no interest in putting in the work, no interest in finding common ground, no interest in using the awesome power of his office to help anyone but himself and his friends." End quote. Based on what does he make this claim? What's his evidence that Trump shows no interest in putting in the work or in helping anyone but himself and his friends? The pre-pandemic economy sure helped blacks in the middle class in ways that the Obama-Biden economy never did. If Trump is doing such a lousy job of finding common ground, why has support for him and the Republican Party among blacks increased over the past three and a half years following the Obama-Biden administration that left race relations in tatters? While Barack waxes indignant about friends being helped by the awesome power of the presidential office, he seems little concerned about how Biden's relatives profited from the various government offices he's held. Both Michelle and Barack boasted that Barack and Biden had done a masterful job of controlling the Ebola outbreak, with Michelle saying, and I quote, When my husband left office with Joe Biden, our leaders had worked hand-in-hand with scientists to help prevent an Ebola outbreak from becoming a global pandemic, end quote. Here's what The Hill reported on the Obama-Biden handling of the Ebola pandemic, and I quote, The Ebola crisis in the United States has become an anchor threatening to sink the Obama presidency. Already under fire from critics who saw the federal response to the outbreak as disorganized and timid, Obama did not name a czar to lead the government's response, nor did he institute travel bans from the West African countries where the Ebola outbreak is pervasive, as some Republicans have suggested. That left many questioning why the CDC hadn't already had strike teams in place, given that Ebola had surfaced months earlier, and again underscored perceptions that the administration appeared reactive rather than proactive. Both Obamas blamed President Trump for thousands of COVID-19 deaths caused by the Chinese communists, while ignoring inconvenient facts, including that President Trump called early on for a travel ban from China, a decision that befuddled Biden deemed xenophobic. Neither of the Obamas mentioned the massive numbers of tests already performed or the field hospitals and respirators that Trump administration made available in record time. Neither mentioned that convention speaker New York Governor Andrew Cuomo killed thousands of elderly, a figure that the Associated Press recently determined is far higher than Cuomo admits. It's wholly dishonest to even compare the Chinese lab-escaped virus to Ebola because Ebola is transmitted through direct contact with bodily fluids and is, according to the Council on Foreign Relations, relatively difficult to contract, whereas the Wuhan virus is highly transmissible and is spread through respiratory droplets from coughing, sneezing, or talking. It makes much more sense to compare the Wuhan virus pandemic to the H1N1 pandemic, another one bungled by the Obama-Biden administration. Ron Klain, Joe Biden's former chief of staff during the Obama administration, recently said that their administration, quote, did every possible thing wrong, and 60 million Americans got H1N1 in that period of time. And it's just purely a fortuity that this isn't one of the mass casualty events in American history. It had nothing to do with us doing anything right. It just had to do with luck, end quote. Politico confirms the wholesale bungling of H1N1. Quote, Politico interviewed almost two dozen people, including administration officials, members of Congress, and outsiders who contended with the administration's response, and they described a litany of sadly familiar obstacles, vaccine shortfalls, fights over funding, and sometimes contradictory messaging, end quote. Even the New York Times reported a host of problems with the Obama-Biden handling of the H1N1 crisis, and I quote them, But the administration have come in for strong criticism from those who say they created a false sense of expectations with overly optimistic predictions about the availability of the vaccine. The fact that there are vaccine shortages is a huge problem, said Senator Susan Collins. I believe administration officials were so determined to show that everything was under control that they sent the wrong signals about the adequacy of supplies of the vaccine. For a president whose aides regard him as the best communicator in the administration, Mr. Obama has been relatively low profile during the pandemic. When he declared a national emergency over the weekend, he used a written proclamation. His Rose Garden appearance lasted just five minutes. His last public reference to H1N1 came on September 23rd, one line in a speech to the United Nations General Assembly, end quote. Perhaps the most flagrantly dishonest and divisive statement in Michelle Obama's Monday lament was this, and I quote, and here at home, as a never-ending list of innocent people of color continue to be murdered stating the simple fact that a black life matters is still met with derision from the nation's highest office, end quote. Well, yes, there is a never-ending list of innocent people of color murdered, but it's not by the police. These innocent people are murdered by other people of color, most of whom are raised in broken, fatherless homes, which are issues Michelle Obama failed to address. No one that I know of in the nation's highest office derides the simple fact that black lives matter. Many Americans, however, deride the radical Marxist organization Black Lives Matter that seeks to disrupt the very family structure that would save black lives. Dripping with hubris and hypocrisy, Michelle Obama suggested that Trump brought this to America, chaos, division, and a total and utter lack of empathy, end quote. The left has spent the last half-century laying the groundwork for chaos, division, anarchy, and revolution through the sexual revolution, Marxism, and critical race theory, and concomitant attacks on religion, the family, and the Constitution, and then tries to lay the blame on Trump for the poisonous fruits of their labors. Sexual anarchy, looting, arson, and indiscriminate violence are the result of Democrat ideas, policies, and leadership. Not Trump's. Michelle Obama's brazenness seems to know no bounds. She said, quote, "Kids in this country are seeing what happens when we stop requiring empathy of one another. They see people calling the police on folks minding their own business just because of the color of their skin. End quote." Who exactly is requiring the end of empathy? Whose solution to poverty and birth defects is extermination of tiny humans? Who seeks to force teenage girls to undress in front of male peers? Who seeks to rob suffering people of their right to worship God corporately while allowing thousands to destroy property? Who seeks to defund the police who risk their lives to help people, including people of color, when they've been robbed or raped? Who are these people calling the police on folks minding their own business just because of the color of their skin? Are there scores of people doing that? Hundreds? Thousands? Who are they? Michelle feigns concern about empathy while endorsing the Harris-Biden ticket. And Barack claimed Harris has, quote, made a career fighting to help others live out their own American dream, end quote. So let's take a look at what all that Harris empathy and helping others live out their dreams looks like. When Kamala Harris was San Francisco's district attorney and then California's attorney general, she fought like the Dickens to keep wrongly convicted men, including some on death row, imprisoned, as University of San Francisco law professor Lara Bazelon explained, and I quote her. As attorney general, Harris weaponized technicalities to keep wrongfully convicted people behind bars rather than allow them new trials with competent counsel and prosecutors willing to play fair. One of them, Kevin Cooper, is on death row, Another, George Gage, will die in prison without intervention from the governor. In both cases, Harris had the power to change the outcome. She could have demanded DNA testing in Cooper's case. She refused. She could have conceded Gage's conviction was based on the prosecutor's decision to suppress evidence that devastated the credibility of the sole witness against him. She didn't. End quote. Ignoring Harris's lack of empathy and missing moral compass, Michelle had the temerity to refer to caged children, and I quote her, kids watch in horror as children are torn from their families and thrown into cages, end quote. Well, those cages were built and used during the Obama administration. The inflammatory photos of these cages used to indict Trump came from the Obama administration. The practice of tearing children from their families and throwing them into cages took place in the Obama administration. Michelle knows all this and yet lied through her pearly whites while pretending to be empathetic. Barack made this remarkable declaration about Biden and Harris, and I quote, they believe that no one, including the president, is above the law, end quote. What about presidents who use the IRS, FBI, DOJ, and CIA to persecute, spy on, and trap and destroy individual lives, a presidential campaign, and a presidency? Will a Harris-Biden administration continue the investigation into the greatest abuse of government power in modern history, an investigation now being conducted by Trump appointee William Barr? Perhaps the abuses of power engaged in by Obama and his henchmen explain the desperation the Obamas feel to get Trump out of office. Michelle spent some time urging listeners in her fawning sycophants at CNN and MSNBC to choose the high road over the low road, and I quote her, "...going high does not mean putting on a smile and saying nice things when confronted by viciousness and cruelty." Going high means standing fierce against hatred while remembering that we are one nation under God and if we want to survive, we've got to find a way to live together and work together across our differences. And going high means unlocking the shackles of lies and mistrust with the only thing that can truly set us free, the cold hard truth, end quote. What about her husband's unseemly politicization of former U.S. Representative John Lewis's funeral, the nadir of political low going? Barack Obama, in full divisive mode, while delivering a eulogy, said, and I quote, Bull Connor may be gone, but today we witness with our own eyes police officers kneeling on the necks of black Americans. George Wallace may be gone but we can witness our federal government sending agents to use tear gas and batons against peaceful demonstrators, end quote. Do we? Do we witness police officers, plural, kneeling on the necks of black Americans? Or do we witness one police officer kneeling on the neck of one drugged-out black American who multiple times resisted police commands? Do we witness federal agents using tear gas and batons against peaceful demonstrators? Or do we witness Democrat mayors and governors commanding police to stand down as looting, arson, and violence take place? What might Michelle's words mean in the context of the viciousness and cruelty that have been unleashed on Americans, including Americans of color, by BLM and Antifa for months now? What might her words mean in the context of BLM, Antifa, Robin DiAngelo, and government school indoctrinators disseminating the lie that those who are white are oppressors and should be judged and condemned not by the content of their character, but by nothing more than their skin color? What does it do for trust between people of different colors when leftists say colorless people are all racists? Should colorless people face the viciousness, cruelty, hatred, and racism of BLM and Antifa by standing fierce? The left is fond of calling whites racists, but Michelle Obama is too cunning to say it directly, so she couched it in a tricksy-oblique way. Quote, now I understand that my message won't be heard by some people. We live in a nation that is deeply divided, and I am a black woman speaking at the Democratic Convention. End quote. Accept Michelle Obama's leftist views, or you're a racist and misogynist. She continues dissembling, and I quote her, But enough of you know me by now. You know I hate politics, end quote. Does anyone really believe Michelle Obama hates politics? She repeats this over and over, and then her bootlickers repeat it over and over. It's a tactic to manipulate people into feeling that things must really be bad if Michelle reemerges from her multi million dollar mansion to engage in politics, which she hates so much. Wink, wink. Except for those special eight years when her husband ruled with his pen, phone, and the powerful deep state composed of unelected bureaucrats, she's always hated not politics, but America. We learned that during the 2008 when she said, quote, For the first time in my adult life, I am really proud of my country because it feels like hope is finally making a comeback. End quote. She has no hope unless leftist policies reign supreme, destroying the economy, relations between races, and the lives of the unborn. Things really are bad, but neither Michelle nor her covertly subversive husband, nor their puppet, Biden, can fix things. They can only make things worse. Michelle tried her faux-earnest best to convince America that, quote, Joe is a profoundly decent man guided by faith, end quote. But I hope Americans know better. A self-labeling Catholic who approves of homosexual activity, the legal recognition of homosexual unions as marriages, the sexual integration of women's private spaces and sports, and the slaughter of the unborn is neither decent nor guided by Catholic faith. A close analysis of Michelle's and Barack's screeds inadvertently exposes what America will get if befuddled Biden and Kamala Harris win the presidency lies, division, chaos, lawlessness, abuse of power, incompetence, cruelty, racism, foreign policy, disasters, and economic malfeasance. That's what we'll get. The next election isn't about Trump or Biden. It's about the principles for which they will fight and the people they will appoint to fight for those principles. To echo Michelle Obama, if we have any hope of ending this chaos caused by Democrats, We have got to vote for President Trump like our lives depend on it.